0: This ADN Politics podcast is brought to you by Steam.Coffee, where we source, roast, and present the finest coffees possible.
1: From the Anchorage Daily News, this is ADN Politics, a podcast navigating Alaska's changing and sometimes wild political landscape. I'm your host, Elizabeth Harbaugh. If you or someone you know has tried to buy or rent a home in Anchorage recently, you're probably very aware of the problem we're talking about today, the city's housing crisis. Costs have shot up, while at the same time, there doesn't seem to be a lot to choose from. I'm joined today by Anchorage Assemblymember Anna Brawley, who is here to talk about efforts to address the issue and challenges that are coming up along the way. Assemblymember Brawley, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Part of why I wanted to talk to you in particular is you've done work related to housing and city planning before you were elected this spring. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about that work experience and how it informs your efforts on the Assembly now? Sure. Sure. So I came to Alaska in
0: 2011
1: and coming straight
0: out of planning school. So city planning is the discipline that looks at how how cities work, uh, different systems work together. So housing, transportation, all those things, uh, and how it supports the economy. So a lot of the work that I've done with my previous employer was really working with communities around the state, including Anchorage, on uh, many issues, including public health planning, looking at things like high-level planning, comprehensive planning, uh, what to do with a specific site. I'm really kind of looking at every scale of, of that realm. <laughs> yeah. So, so I've done a lot of work, not just in, in the field of housing itself, but really the other pieces that help somebody stay in housing or help them be successful. So things like behavioral health or public health, or um, like I said, economic development. So I want to pause
1: on this phrase, housing crisis, that I brought up in the intro here. What are the signs that you see in Anchorage that point to a crisis?
0: Yeah, and I think um, it's important to understand that, that the crisis that we're feeling now is something that's been, there were signs of it for a long time, but really what we've seen is an acceleration. So the way I think about our housing issues are three kind of big categories and, and hurdles that we're facing at Anchorage. One is availability of housing. So just simply put, we don't have enough housing units to meet our need. And that can be the size of housing, you know, the price point of housing. We don't have a lot of small affordable rentals. We don't have a lot Lot of new housing that we're building. The housing that we are building tends to be uh, further out of the city or, or even in places like Matsu. Um, so, in terms of wanting a new house, you might have to drive pretty far to get from your home to your job, for example. And so, really, kind of looking at the market, we just don't have a lot of availability. Um, the second piece of the crisis is affordability. Uh, So again, as I said, you know, you need to be able to um, pay for your housing. You can't just pay half of your rent or half of your mortgage every month. So really looking at things that people can afford. And of course, the more you spend on your housing, the less you have available for the other things you need. And then of course, the things that you might want. And a lot of our economy depends on uh, people having some extra spending money to to be able to go to that local store or that concert. And then the third piece is really making sure that we're an attractive city to live. So, So, so to the extent that we have those housing challenges, we have aging housing stock. We don't have enough housing, and then really there's a lot of competition for homes every time they're up on the market or or rental market. And so that really makes us a less attractive place to live. So whether you're already here and you're thinking about you know your next step in your career, starting a family, if you feel like you can't afford the life here, and there's other opportunities elsewhere, uh, even if you grew up here, even if your family is still here, um, you may make that choice to leave and. and 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 I think we're seeing more and more folks, especially who are early in their career or mid-career looking at starting a family or or, or already have a family, are really um, heading out of Anchorage, and that's a problem.
1: Yeah, many other U.S. cities are also dealing with similar housing issues, but in your view, are there any challenges that are unique to Anchorage that make our issue worse or harder to deal with?
0: Yeah, I think no one would be surprised to hear that our costs are higher here. Um, and so that's always been a challenge. So that includes our uh, building materials costs, because we, of course, we have to ship almost everything up here. It includes our labor costs. you know, And, and having higher costs for labor is not necessarily a bad thing, because we want people to have good wages. That's part of the equation of affording housing. However, it does drive up the cost of housing, especially when there's uh, so few workers that there's just less competition for jobs um, and less availability of those workers. I think that's That's something that should sound familiar because we're seeing that across every sector. Uh, I think another unique challenge, though, in Anchorage is just the, the way that our city was built over time. Uh, we're a, a relatively young city, and so we don't have, for example, the old industrial buildings from 100 or 200 years ago the way that some of the cities on the East Coast have that have been converted into housing. Uh, we have a pretty young housing stock, and so we we haven't really built out <laughs> the way that, that other cities have. But on the flip side, we have really expanded rapidly in a lot of Low-density neighborhoods, and so we've expanded the city's footprint. And then we have a lot of aging housing, as I said, um, especially built during the oil boom. And so it's it's we're at the point that we need to be. More smartly using our land. So, things like redevelopment, allowing maybe a duplex where there was a single family home before, um, and really making it possible to renovate. So, I think that's one of the big challenges in Anchorage is that we see all these aging buildings. And because of all of these other costs, it can actually be as expensive or even more expensive to renovate an existing building versus tearing it down and building new. And so, I think what you'll see is a lot of really um, what I would call stagnation in our housing market. So, you're paying a lot for a house that you need to do a lot of work on probably paying too much for that house sometimes. And then, like I said, you see a lot of these buildings kind of sitting around. You wonder why they're not
1: changing, why they're not being renovated, and uh, cost is a big factor of that. Yeah, I definitely recognize that. So, I mean, earlier this year, two other Assembly members proposed this substantial overhaul of Anchorage's zoning code, which they said was the kind of big change that was needed to get more housing built or renovations happening. And there was a lot of community pushback, and the ordinance was revised and then kind of put on ice till next year. So I'm wondering from where you sit, what did the Assembly learn in that process? I think one thing that's important
0: to understand and, and is kind of a thread of work uh, from my both my prior day job and also being a volunteer in the community is land use is complicated, right? And there's a lot of um, stakeholders in that. I mean, really, everybody who lives in the community has a stake. So whether you already own property and you, and you have your home, whether you want to buy into the area, uh, whether you're looking to move to a new neighborhood. So I think there's a lot of a lot of complex factors and a lot of perspectives there. So I think what we really learned is that in order to make big change, sometimes we do have to slow down. Sometimes it is difficult within our existing processes to to move as fast as we like. You know, um, government doesn't usually move very fast. And especially when we're talking about changing, uh, essentially, property rights, you know, zoning is our property rights, and thinking about each person's property rights, and then how that affects their neighbors. So it really is a complex negotiation. And I think, what we learned is even if we have the right idea or, or what's on track to being a good idea, I think it still takes time and it takes working with the community to not only work out what the what our zoning code, for example, should look like, but also helping the, the community understand, um, you know, these are why we're talking about zoning changes. This is why, you know, kind of understanding the pieces of our code that are holding back development or holding back people being able to, to build the housing that we'd like to see in Anchorage.
1: So maybe on a slower timeline, do you think some version of that proposal is necessary? And if so, like what might that look like? So there were two
0: zoning proposals. One essentially said, um, let's just have one or or I guess two residential zones and let's just allow anything in any of those zones in terms of housing. And I think there is a valid approach there, but I think it, it is also worth thinking about where we want to put that housing. Um, so for example, we have areas that already have water and sewer lines. Um, that is a great place to put more housing. We have our comprehensive plan that says we want to redevelop and densify areas of our city that are already built out. For example, places in my district, West Anchorage, You know, we have great road system. We have a lot of those utilities in, in most places. Yeah, so I think I think the question isn't, If we need to change our zoning code, it's really what are those changes? Um, And I think that's something a lot, a conversation a lot of other cities are having. Um, So, for example, last year, before I was on the body, the assembly voted to eliminate parking minimums. So recognizing that um, not only does that hold back businesses being able to reuse our existing buildings or or build new, it also affects our housing. It affects the cost of housing for building new housing, again, for renovating buildings, uh, including putting more housing units in. So so looking at kind of real targeted changes we can make there but I think there is a bigger conversation we need to have again about how we look at zoning and then how it affects property rights. So I'm certainly not anti-zoning. I think it's important and I think some of the some of the frustrations with how people see our city city having been built uh, is some of that is not having enough kind of clear direction or or intentional approach to where we want to see development. But at the same time, I think there are flaws in our zoning code. And I think um, a lot of other cities are realizing that too. For example, prioritizing and kind of only allowing single family homes, you know, so large lots, uh, only one dwelling per unit, those kinds of things. I think a lot of cities are talking about that and really looking at not just the impacts on how much it spreads out our our city and, and and all the infrastructure that's associated with that, but also equity issues, so the idea that um you know if you if you don't have enough money to buy one of those houses, then you're really constrained where you live in the city and I think we do have a good mix of different types of housing in different neighborhoods. I'll use spinard as an example it's always been a very eclectic place to live, very desirable place to live and so You know, really the bottom line is how do we change our zoning rules to essentially allow more people to enjoy those neighborhoods? And again, where it's appropriate, you know, where we can support more development, where our plans say we should be building more. So we really need to look again at our zoning codes and our other local regulations in our code to say where can we make it easier to build housing and where can we essentially just help people do what they already want to do. There's so many people who do want to develop housing. They want to add that extra unit. And there's these barriers, uh, some of which are financial. You know, the cost of, of getting a loan right now is, is, is pretty high with our interest rates. But, but there's also things that we can do locally to Im- impact that and make it more easy.
1: So when it comes to those kind of policy changes that will facilitate more housing construction in Anchorage, what are some of the biggest challenges that you see? The two categories of challenges I see, one is just the complexity of the issue. We've had a
0: lot of discussions on the assembly this year and then certainly before I came on the body last year and before that, and really trying to even untangle what can we do to make this situation better. So I mentioned infrastructure costs, I mentioned building costs, our regulatory issues. You know, again, there's a lot of kind of those technical pieces. And so I think one of the challenges for all of us really is to untangle that as policymakers and then then really lean on our experts to be able to advise us, you know, what is what is the best change we can make? What will have the most impact? So that's kind of one big ball of challenges. Uh, the other one is really having that conversation with the community in the process. I think it's important to recognize that some of our processes uh, do get in the way of development. So as an example, I am a product of our community council system, um, you know, both in Spinard and t- Turnigan community councils. But I think we have a, a challenge where essentially we... we um, For example, the planning department is working on zoning code changes. They go to the public, um, they, they do the process that's required, it goes to our planning and zoning commission, and then it goes to the assembly who has to adopt the code. Um, and so through that process, there's a lot of opportunities for, I guess, slowing down that pace of change, right? So somebody who simply doesn't want to see change in their neighborhood, they have an outsized ability to affect that process. And again, through community councils, through public comment, and this is something that's been identified in other cities as well. And I think it's It's important to recognize that that all of the perspectives in our community are valid, but it is important to understand that if your perspective is simply saying, you know, I'm concerned about change and then I want to stop or slow down that change, then again, you have to have the conversation, well, who's, whose um, interests are we prioritizing? You know, and as policymakers, we need to balance all of those things. And so I think that that is another piece of the the puzzle is really how do we help the public understand and, and make the connections between the problems we're seeing and, and even the problems they may be experiencing too. I know a lot of folks are frustrated about property values going up because it means property taxes go up. So connecting the dots and then really helping people see – that in order for our city to grow and to evolve and to uh, really thrive, we need to help more people live here. That's the consequence of not having a housing market that most people can access. And then I'll also note, you know, if you can't afford a house you or you can't afford uh, your rent, you end up being evicted. And so then you end up in a system that is not really designed to help people get out of it. <laughs> you know, we're, we're making uh, changes to allow that. But really, if, if we don't have places for people to be where they can afford, then then they will default to um, being houseless, right? That they won't have a place to be. Um, And then it's it's really difficult and expensive to get out of that situation. So again, really understanding how the decisions we make on one side of the table, like on zoning and land use, affect all the other systems that we all, I think, want to see work better.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think something that came up in previous conversations we both had is that, you know, folks in the neighborhood, they have a voice, but there's not necessarily an easy way to get the voice of the folks who don't live in that neighborhood yet. Is that sort of what you're getting at a little bit? Yeah, and I think there's there's two ways to
0: think about that. One is maybe they live elsewhere in the city or they live in another place, and then they're they're looking to, to move to that neighborhood or that side of town um, because maybe it's closer to their kid's school, to their job. And again, all of that reduces the amount of traffic on the roads. So if, if we're all having to drive across town to get everywhere that we need to be, that adds up. And then I know none of us love sitting in traffic, right? Um, so that's kind of one dimension. The other dimension is as a planner, I need to think long term, right? So I know that uh, there is always the, the need and the uh, expectation that as policymakers, we're, we're focused on our constituents today. But that longer term perspective, we want to think about what about the folks who aren't even born yet? What about the folks who are uh, growing up in our community, our small children? Are they going to be able to afford a home? Uh, the folks now who are working age parents, you know, as they think about and, and they age, where do they want to live um, or, or where can their aging relatives live? So there's um, there's all these dimensions to think about, and, um, and again, it's really why I think we need to think about not just we only want this one type of housing or we only want to have this neighborhood change and not anywhere else, because we really want to make it more possible for people to choose where they live, to choose the type of home that they live in, uh, something that they can afford, and then, again, be able to meet their needs over the lifespan.
1: Let's take a short break there. When we're back, we'll talk more about what other changes might be in the works.
0: At Steam.Coffee, we're proud to support great journalism, and we're proud of our pursuit of great coffee. We search the world for the finest raw materials and then roast them to perfection at our Anchorage headquarters. All with one thing in mind, the finest coffee possible in your cup. Come visit us at either of our Anchorage cafes or online at steam.com.
1: We're back talking to Anchorage Assemblymember Anna Brawley about Anchorage's housing crisis and efforts to address it. I want to start out the second half talking broadly. What are the tools that the Assembly has to help address this issue? Yeah, that's a great question. And of course,
0: we don't have an unlimited toolbox. So as I mentioned, there's a lot of things that we don't have control over. So things like interest rates, you know, we're not going to tell the banks to lower their rates anytime soon. And so we really need to focus on the areas that we do have some control or influence over and also working with partners that maybe we can't make the change ourselves, but looking to that. So I think the tools that are really in our toolbox are uh, policy. So things like code changes our ordinances, you know, removing barriers, creating new incentives, for example, that, that really encourage people to build what we want. Incentives, bleed over into the next kind of tool in our toolbox, which is investment. So whether that's direct investment through funding, uh, one example is the assembly has put uh, multiple millions of dollars toward renovation of hotels, uh, conversion of hotels into housing. So a one-time expenditure, a one-time investment that permanently increases the number of units in our community. And then also, as I said, incentives. So things where we might say, um, okay, we're going to give you a tax break for a few years to reduce the cost of construction of new housing in order to to, again, catalyze that development. So, for example, there's some great projects downtown that are utilizing those incentives. The third one that we have is really convening and collaboration. So the idea, again, that we can't solve problems by ourselves, that we're not the experts. Certainly, even myself as a planner, I wouldn't call myself a zoning expert. I've, I've really not um, been the zoning administrator that sits there and works with folks on what the code looks like. So I need advice from other people, um, like our planning department, like our building industry, you know, folks who, who use the code every day and can really identify those pain points so that convening and collaboration is really ways that we can start to understand those problems and then collectively work together to find solutions and hopefully it's solutions like like policy change that we can do um if it's something that we can't then it would really be advocacy and and again collaboration with other levels of government other entities uh for example there might be state legislative changes needed um, in order to enable us to do things at the local level uh federal funding issues. So I know Assembly Chair Constant has been very vocal and involved with uh, advocacy to HUD, the U.S. Housing and Urban Development Department, about the amount of funding that we get for uh, dealing with things like affordable housing. And then I guess the last one is it's more in the, the convening space and less in the direct change space, but communication. So again, really working to dialogue with the community about the changes that we need to make, um, the reasons why we're doing those, and then making sure that those changes are things that the community can support and understand and and really help us all work together toward that goal. Um, and so that's really a way... And, and all of those tools work together, but those, those are the broad categories of the ways that. that. That we can either make change directly or that we can really start to influence the other systems to make change there.
1: Are there low-hanging fruit type changes the Assembly is looking at that are maybe less controversial than the building code overhaul that was mentioned earlier this summer that you're looking at, you think might be able to get through fairly quickly?
0: Yeah. And, and just to clarify, so there's building code and that's like there are structures and then there's zoning code, but but really there's opportunities to change in both of those. Um, in terms of low-hanging fruit, I think some of that fruit has been plucked already, so to speak. For example, uh, making it easier to build ADUs, accessory dwelling units. Um, so that was something that was interesting. In our code, not many people were using it. And then really, the changes that were made just make it more possible to build larger units, to give people more flexibility. So um, that's an example of things that we've been working on. I mentioned parking minimums. Another one that's in the works now, I'm not one of the uh, ordinance sponsors, but I am supportive of it, is changes to allow uh, or to make it easier to build uh, try and fourplexes. Right now in our code, we treat a threeplex or a fourplex with the same level of requirements uh, as, as say, building a, a large commercial strip mall, a commercial center. And so looking at changing from commercial standards to treating them more like a single-family home or a duplex, because um, they really are smaller scale. Um, it's just adding one or two more units than, than, than a duplex. So that's something, I believe it's AO 2023 uh, 103 got introduced at one of our recent meetings. Uh, it'll be back before the assembly in December, because it is going through the process of review through the Planning and Zoning Commission. But that was really a collaborative process with assembly members, uh, the planning department, the building department, um, folks from the industry to sit down and say, where are the changes that we could make to make this possible? I think there are some small changes we can make. The, the tricky thing is really untangling because our zoning code is so complicated. It's not as simple as, oh, we'll just strike out that one word or, or let's change that language here because you do have to look at the whole thing. And so I think as we go through and look at those more tactical changes, that will also help us understand how to really untangle a lot of the complexity in our code um, and make it easier to use. I think that's that's one of the long-term goals, or at least one of my long-term goals for sure, is to uh, really, I guess, right-size our zoning and make sure that we're giving the rules that we need to give to property owners about what they can do, but then also allowing that flexibility and really innovation. Uh, we want to see more different types of housing. We want to see more building materials used in our city that are more common in other places, but not typical here. Those kinds of things that really, again, allow our, our market and our and our uh, people who live in our city to create more opportunities for people to live here.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're kind of getting at my next question, which is like, what are more ambitious changes that might be necessary? Like if you as a city planner had a magic wand and could change everything exactly the way you wanted, what, what would need to happen? Yeah, that's a big question. Uh, I think Several categories. One would be
0: our zoning code and really stepping back. And, and again, like I said, thinking, what are the rules that we're putting in place that give some certainty to folks about what you can and can't do, uh, not just your own property, but your neighbors. I think we need to have that conversation, um, but really recognize that that it's not the zoning code's job to tell people what color door their house needs to be. And I'm not saying that because it's that's in our code now, but I think um, the more that we restrict what people can do, the harder it is to build, and then the more you start to see the same house over and over, or the same building. Um, so that's kind of one big set of changes. I think another one is really the financing. So one of the biggest costs for housing is the cost of installing uh, water and sewer infrastructure, and then the road on top of that. Um, and those are called off-site improvements. So often those are required not just for the property you own, but you might need to connect into the water or sewer. You might need to extend a sewer line because it's not it wasn't built there you know when when housing was put in in the 70s for example so there's a lot of kind of other costs that are layered on i think that's where we do need to focus not just the, the public sector are there other financing mechanisms we can use like loans uh, can we do public private partnerships right now we make the developer pay for it um, which really is making the residents who are going to be living in those homes either renting or owning Uh, The cost of that is built into their rent or the sale price. So ways that we could reduce the cost there. There's also really big things that we need to do that I think are going to still take a while, but things like stormwater utility. And it might not be obvious why we need that, but drainage is one of the biggest issues in our city. It's often a conversation. It's often a big part of the cost when we're uh, rebuilding our roads or expanding roads. And that is another way where other cities have things called stormwater utilities. And so really uh, making sure that property owners are contributing to the cost of that. And then essentially, that's the way that you can start to maintain the systems that we have and potentially look at how to expand those systems. So there's there's some other mechanisms that I think are going to be a heavy lift for Anchorage. And we've enabled the stormwater utility in our code. We just haven't been able to implement it yet. And, and I think right now there's not will to implement that at the city itself with the leadership.
1: But um, that's a conversation we can have in the future. Got it. So like there's these big changes that people don't necessarily think are connected to housing but are to- would totally contribute to maybe reducing those costs.
0: Yeah, and then one I'll mention too on because I know we're talking a lot about housing production I think on the The demand side, if you think about it that way, there's a lot that we can do to, again, reduce housing cost burdens on residents. So uh, things like uh, supporting energy efficiency, um, allowing seniors to age in their homes with uh, rehabilitation. So there's a lot of programs that that aren't new programs. They've been around, but figuring out how to fund those and how to, again, help more people make the changes to their existing homes that they need. um, I think that's another good place that we could focus more.
1: I want to ask about short-term rentals. Um, That's been a part kind of the conversation for a little bit. To what extent do you think Airbnbs, VRBOs and the like are making the housing issue worse in Anchorage? Or are we able to know that yet? I mean, if you asked 10 people, you'd get
0: 10 different opinions on that. I I think probably multiple things are true. One is that Certainly, I think some units that have been long-term rentals are flipping to short-term rentals, uh, or potentially new units being built. Um, I think that's certainly true. I think we don't have a good handle on the numbers. Uh, we certainly collect bed tax from short-term rentals, so we have some sense of scale, but we don't know where they are, uh, all those units. And then I think it does look different in different communities or different parts of Anchorage. So we know the community of Girdwood. Um, it's, it's essentially a ski resort town, and like many other ski resort towns, they have extreme issues with the affordability and then there is a lot of demand for those vacation rentals you know and and i've certainly used one over the years i'm sure a lot of people have and it's not that they're bad but what it does mean is that they're what's called dark homes most of the time where it's you know a a house that, that or a unit that could be lived in but is being used for a commercial purpose not as somebody's residence and so i think we don't know how many there are many other communities are struggling to answer that question how many do we have? Are they eating into our current housing market? And um, and therefore, uh, are they displacing residents? And so I think that's a conversation we need to keep having, but we do need better data because it is it is hard to really pinpoint and say that's the problem. When, again, we know the overall problem is that we're not adding units to our housing market, period. Um, and then as those age, as those, um, you know, we've had several fires, apartment fires over the years, things like that. If we're not replacing or, or adding units at the same pace that we should be, then then we're always going to be in that shortage, regardless of whether they're being all used as as residences or or some used as short-term rentals.
1: Finally, a topic we haven't touched on much because it's kind of a whole other complicated conversation, but it's also totally a part of this, is homelessness in Anchorage. In your view, to what extent is getting more housing online part of the solution there?
0: Yeah, I think I think it really is the biggest part of the solution. And and not to say that there aren't other factors. So there's certainly, you know, mental health and folks being able to heal their trauma. There's issues like, you know, economic opportunity, things like that. But I think the fundamental thing is, you know, the definition of homelessness or houselessness is not having a place to live. And to the extent that we require people to um, to pay for housing in society, that's just how it is. We either need to we own our property or we rent from somebody else or we have family or friends or somebody else who allows us to live in a place. So so, somebody's paying at some point, right? And so the fewer opportunities we have for folks at that lower end of the income spectrum, uh, even folks who are working, there are so many people in our town who are uh, housing insecure or, or are actually maybe living unsheltered even and still have jobs. And so it's important to understand. I know there's a lot of rhetoric around whether people are choosing the lifestyle or, or whether they are are skirting their, their responsibilities to society. But I think really in our community and elsewhere, that is the number one issue. And there's so many people who, um, you know, they, they just want a place to live. And so we need to make more opportunities for that because the the flip side is if if we don't, then all of that is on the the public's cost. You know, folks, if you don't have a place to live, you end up on public land. Um, If you are not able to afford your rent and afford food, then you're going to be reliant on those systems um, because we all need to eat, right? We all need a place to sleep. So to the extent that we have more housing units available, people are able to, to stabilize. They're able to have a place where they feel secure. They can lock their door at night. They can keep their stuff while they're at work. And, and then and then that helps somebody get out of the mindset of, of being in crisis every day and able to think about tomorrow, able to think about next month and next year. Some folks are skeptical of the idea that, that housing is the answer to homelessness, but it really is. It is the biggest answer. You know, people want to be independent. They want to have a life. They want to be able to choose, you know, where they go, what they do. And so, If we allow people to to have a place to have a home, then they're able to to take care of the other aspects of their life.
1: All right. Well, I want to wrap up by having you talk about what the Assembly is calling Housing Action Week, which is from October 30th to November 4th. What's happening that week and what are you hoping to get out of it? Yeah, I'm really excited about Housing
0: Action Week, and I hope everybody participates. We've got a lot of ways to to get engaged. So Housing Action Week will be uh, Monday, October 30th through Saturday, November 4th. The biggest event we're going to be having that I'm really excited about is our Housing Summit. So that's Friday, November 3rd. It's going to be over at UAA campus in the Student Union. So I'm really hoping that we see a lot of young folks participating. I know I know they're going to be busy with class, but really we know young people are are hurting the most in this economy, right? There's... um. We heard just yesterday in a committee meeting that, I forget the percentage, but a big percent of folks who are seeking shelter right now are under the age of 30. Um, so that is a big red flag. We know that, that even UAA students are housing insecure. So wanting to really call attention to those and really bringing different perspectives together. So folks who are having those housing challenges, uh, people who are experts in the industry, community members who are just interested in the topic and want to learn more. Uh, other events that we have going on, we have uh, multiple kind of public presentations uh, throughout the week. We have other partners that are doing events. Um, I believe that the Alaska Home Builders uh, Association is going to be in town with a conference. So they're going to be talking about construction challenges. Uh, we have Thursday night, there's a, a nerd night at uh, Anchorage, or sorry, at 49th State Brewing. So getting uh, people who are enthusiastic about housing are going to give brief presentations and kind of a fun a fun environment to learn a lot uh, while you're sitting there drinking your beer. One other event I want to highlight is on Saturday afternoon at the Mountain View Library, uh, something called a Future City Fund for Families. And so that's really um, a way to engage kids. I think it's important for kids to understand how our cities work, to start to understand things like housing. And they don't need to understand the technical aspects of zoning code yet, um, but they really w- can understand kind of like, why does my city look like it does? Why does my neighborhood look like it does? Where do other people live? So so that will be at Mountain View Library, and there'll be a fun activity for kids and families to really engage in that discussion. So the goal is really to have something for everybody during Housing Action Week and to really be continuing to elevate that conversation. We, we know this is one of the biggest issues in our city, and it's just something a lot of other cities are facing, so we're not alone. Um, but there's a lot that we can do to make our situation better.
1: Well, Assemblymember Brawley, thank you so much for your time. Yeah,
0: thank you for having me.
1: Thanks for listening to ADN Politics. You can subscribe to the show in whichever podcast app you're listening to right now. You can keep up with the rest of our coverage on ADN.com. And you can subscribe to ADN there, which is the best way to support our work, including this show. Thanks to our guest today, Anchorage Member Anna Brawley. This episode was produced by Zachariah Hughes and Evan Phillips. Evan Phillips also makes our music. David Kulin is our editor. And I'm your host, Elizabeth Harbaugh. See you next time. Thanks for
0: listening. This episode of ADN Politics was brought to you by Steam.Coffee, where we source, roast, and present the finest coffees possible.